like a philosophy. If yeah, you're not if on you, mic, it's like the philosopher of a podcaster. If you're not on mic, the ideas are meaningless. Well, but that, that sounds that, horrible. That idea goes back to the to the Greeks. I forget who said that. It's a tree in the forest. They were much into, yeah. It's kind of the tree in the forest. But if you have an idea and you don't express it, you might as well not have had that idea at all. I didn't forget the guy who said that, but it was an old old Greek, or maybe he was young when he said it. But <laughs> he's no longer with us, but his ideas are still there. So. Uh, so. You ready? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, ready. I'm ready. Okay, okay. Big changes in Albany this year as the Republicans and IDC, the Independent Democratic Conference, are out and a functioning legislature under Democratic control is in. About a year ago, on BCR number 10, we talked with the women leading two important grassroots political organizations that were key in those changes, True Blue New York and Indivisible Harlem. And today on Bar Crawl Radio, we've invited two of the leaders of those organizations to talk about getting rid of the IDC and a new initiative for a green New York City and state. And so with said that, you're tuned to Bar Crawl Radio wherever you get your podcast. And here we go. Okay, that's Wade Ripka and the Eastern Eastern Blockheads. Uh, He introduces our our show. This is Barcore Radio number 48. And with us now on the Gephardt Beer Culture Porch are two, I would say, powerful ladies. I think so. It sounds like it from learning about them. Nan Fessler spent most of her life in Los Angeles. In the 1960s, she protested against the Vietnam War and for women's rights. She had a career in the graphic arts industry and continues to address environmental issues in the print industry. Ms. Fessler, is that how you say it, Fessler? Yes, you have it correct. Ms. Fessler moved to New York City about three years ago and has been an active member of Girls Learn International, an organization that advocates for middle and high school girls' education, as well as Indivisible Harlem and We Act, an environmental justice group. And with us also is Mia Perlman, a sculptor known for her site-specific cut paper installations and public art projects. Also, Ms. Perlman is a co-founder and co-leader of True Blue New York. It's a grassroots coalition of dozens of New York State groups who were instrumental in defeating the IDC. Don't forget that, ladies and gentlemen, the IDC. We'll get to that later, um, later in the program. In 2019, True Blue New York joined over 30 issue advocacy groups to create the New York People's Platform, which is fighting for progressive legislation. Nan Fessler and Mia Perlman, welcome to Bar Crawl Radio. Thank you. Uh, There are many things we could talk about with you two, but we thought we would focus on two issues. The changes in the New York City legislature, and second, the push for a cleaner environment in our city and state. But first, let's learn a little bit more about you. First of all, what are you drinking? Oh, I'm drinking the amber beer that was on tap. Unfortunately, I can't remember the exact name. That's right, okay. We, we it's should, delicious. We the, maybe we can get the name of the beer. Yeah, yeah we always try to push Gephardt's beer because right, they're so yeah. nice to give us this porch. Exactly, and they're you know, a great place. We use about once a week mm-hmm. for our podcast. And you're drinking... Just water. Just water. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, but it's good water. It's good water. It's New it's York just, well, it's City good water. water. It is good water. New York yeah. City is the best. My, my, my father was a, a water plant operator right. in Miami. He would say, New York City, best water. Well, best they, it's, water. it's won awards. They have contests, the yes. water departments. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, Nan, earlier in your life, you worked for the San Francisco People's Press, an anarchist print shop. Who are they? Um, I actually don't know if uh, People's Press is around anymore. I wouldn't call them an anarchist uh, uh, collective at all. That came I, out of my research. Uh, well, I, I, you would, disagree. I, I would disagree. The, I didn't actually work for them, but that is where I learned how to print. And I was one of the very few women in my generation in the graphic arts industry that had actually had known how to print. And I went into print production and then print sales. And, and what did you do with them? You were an apprentice or? Uh, no, it's, I was living in San Francisco doing political work. I wanted to learn how to print. I love the fact, I love the, the whole idea of images and text being together. 
which is really what the graphic arts industry is about, is merging those two together. And I thought that it'd be great to learn how to print. And plus, they were doing really good work. They were able to put out good materials that would allow people to, to learn, you know, so it was educational, but also a call to action. So, you know, if there was going to be a protest, if there was going to be a celebration for Ho Chi Minh's birthday, we put that material out. So do you think this brought you into the print industry and into activism both? No, I was active before that. Yes. Okay. Well, what kind of activism were you doing in, in California? I guess San Francisco at that time. I mostly anti-war work, women's movement, uh, labor. Vietnam war. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I was I was big on that in the in the University of Florida campus. We tried to we closed it down. In fact, yeah. During during the war, as, as many colleges uh, yeah. uh, students did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's let's turn to Mia. Find out a little bit about Mia. Your day job is creating large public space sculptures. It's funny to think of it as a, as a job or a day job, for that matter. Well, but yeah, that's, that's my vocation. That's your, that's your vocation, yeah. and that's what you make your money on, and mm. that's, that, that's what you live on. Tell us a little bit about your art. What, what is the shape? How big is it? What is it made out of? What does it look like? Sure. Um, well, I primarily make these giant cut paper installations in galleries, museums, and other public places. And they look a little bit like weather systems that have been trapped in a room. They're kind of... Can, they're abstract, but they can remind you of, uh, of uh, waves, of clouds, of lots of, of geological formations. Um, and they're really about, they're, I think in a certain ways they are related to politics because they're really about forces that are larger than us, that we can't control, that, that can't be seen for the most part. So that could be weather, but that could also be the stock market. Sure. Or that could be capitalism. Large, large structures yeah, that large are ruling our lives. forces that rule our lives. Governments. And, right, and we wake up every morning and we have to sort of contend with, like, how do you still operate as an individual and feel, you know, that you have agency and you're powerful in your life, understanding that you don't really have control over a lot of the forces that dominate your life. Right? And I, I've seen a, a, some of your uh, work online. I, I look forward to seeing it in, mm -hmm. in real life. Uh, are you working now on a project for MGM Resorts, or is that done uh, already? Yeah, I, we installed that in August. Um, that's a permanent piece made out of aluminum, uh, powder-coated aluminum, and that's in the new MGM uh, Hotel Casino in Springfield, Massachusetts. Right. Well, M MGM is one of those forces of control, too. It's but very they gave hard. you money. Well, you know, it's funny because I have turned down projects when I felt that the client was not uh, someone I wanted to work for, including the Walton family. So, you know, like if oh. I... I, I do think about them. I mean, there's a point where, of course, if you look at museums, for example, you probably saw the protests at the Guggenheim right. that were led by Nan Golden about the Sackler family because Absolutely. of their... And met, too, I you think. Know, um, there have been, you know, uh, yeah, because of the Sackler wing. So right. the, you know, the art world is just as screwed up as every other world. And if you really scratch the surface, you're going to find something you don't agree with. But I do try within reason even having two small children who I have, who's, you know, preschool I have to pay for. <laughs> right, I do right, try right. to make the best choices I can within that. And when we say big, how big are they? What is your biggest installation? My biggest um, uh, permanent project is in, uh, in Boston. It was for Liberty Mutual's new head, at the time, new headquarters in 2012. And so it's a gigantic indoor-outdoor. Outdoor plaza is like... 38 by 38 by 38 feet in a giant, I mean, you can go to my website and see it. It's made out of stainless steel and aluminum. Um, and that was like an extremely, you know, big budget, big deal project. Um, right. And it's great to do these things because as an artist, you know, you can make that in your studio. You don't, no one has the money in their budget, in their personal account to make a project like that. And, and for me, the, making these projects is related to my activism in the sense that I feel passionate about public art because I want everyone to have art, right? Mm. You know, the vast majority of people are never going to go to a gallery or a museum or anything like that, you know, but, you know, there's a lot of really crappy public art, but the good stuff, you know, you have a relationship with over time and you're happy when you see that Calder or whatever it's on the true. street. You're right. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's turn to that uh, political activist, social progressive uh, movement. Mia, your actions were pivotal in getting True Blue New York started. Um, and I'd like to explore part of that story. Uh, we should mention that Lisa Delaquila, is that her name? Delaquila? Mm -hmm. uh, who was an important part of the development of True Blue New York, was on our podcast about a year ago for Barcrow Radio number 10. So, uh, could you tell us a little about that story about how you, uh, sure. how that 
True Blue New York got started. Came what is about. True Blue New York? Right. Well, True Blue New York is a grassroots organization that our sole purpose is to push New York to the left, right? So that means getting rid of a lot of really crappy politicians in order to pass progressive legislation. Um, and the way it happened is, you know, after 2016, we all woke up the next morning, like, in <coughs> terror and despair and so forth. Yes. And many people... What, what happened? Right. Well, that thing. <laughs> no. that, that thing which shall not be named happened. happened. Yeah. Um, and um, additionally, a lot of people woke up and found out that their state senator, who they had voted for... A Democrat. A Democrat was actually, had already been or had just joined this uh, group of breakaway Democrats in the state Senate called the IDC, who Independent Democratic in, Conference. That's correct. And that they did that, uh, and, and what they did was, for many years, they gave um, the Republicans control of the New York State Senate in exchange for, you know, really pathetic things like bigger offices and, you know, more pocket money and stuff like I mean, it's really, like, low-level pettiness. It's sad. Yeah, it's so sad. So it wasn't even, like, being the head of a, of a committee or something? Well, they did, because some of these people were, you know, uh, junior, right? They wouldn't necessarily get to be the head of a committee. So in exchange, they got some power. But, you know, what was that power worth? Essentially what happened was when the Republicans are in charge, or when either side is in charge, they get to determine what comes out of committee, mm -hmm. right? What gets voted on in the committee, and then whether it can come onto the floor to be voted on. So the, the kind of Machiavellian evil of the IDC was not that they voted against the things that we want to have happen. It's that publicly they were for them, but their support of the Republicans prevented the, those very things from getting out of committee for a vote. So, so they're big fakers. Oh yeah, complete phonies. Complete and utter total phonies. So New York State, a Democratic state, voted for Democrats mm -hmm. and got Republicans. Exactly. And didn't exactly. even realize it yes. for some time. Well, a yeah, shell including game. myself. I, I mean, I you know, I'm totally honest, I don't live in an IDC district, which is not an excuse, but, you know, this had been going on for quite some time. What, what changed was that Trump was elected and that um, three people had joined the IDC at the exact same time. One had emailed their, their mailing list the night before, and one had done it after being elected. So, you know, what, that one was, he was in Queens. So there was just, like, this outcry of, like, really on top of you know, the betrayal of the national election, the betrayal of, like, my own Democratic the local state election. senator. Right. So the and you way, got angry. A lot of people it, did. Yes, a lot of people got angry. And what happened was I live in, in Dittmas Park in Brooklyn, and I had heard about this thing called Get Organized BK, which was, like, a kind of get-together started by a New York City councilman, Brad Lander, who's part of the Progressive Caucus, and his uh, district is, includes Park Slope. So, like... You know, everyone in his district was like, Brad, what do we do? What do we do? So we called a meeting at a local synagogue, and the first meeting, like, 1,500 people came to. Mm. So it was like this phenomenon. Amazing. I heard about this. So I probably showed up at the third meeting with a friend of mine. Both of us had little, very small children. Uh, I had, at the time, a three-year-old and a six-month-old. And we were like, yeah, we can't lead anything. Like, we can all, you know, we're just looking for some volunteer work. Well, I wound up starting True Blue New York, and she wound up starting to help another group called Run NYC, which trains candidates. Uh, so that didn't work out. But in any case, but I had met other people Blue there. But New York really went someplace. I mean, it yeah. became known. It is known. It, well, you know, it's really amazing that when you have the right idea at the right moment and you find people who really want to invest their time and energy to make it happen, things can move very quickly. And what I think we've all seen, and I think Nan probably experienced this too, is, and I know I've heard this from assembly people and, and senators and people in Albany who, who've been there for a long time, Suddenly, all these people who, who came from other careers brought all of their skills, their expertise, their passion, their everything, and injected it into New York State politics, of all things. Right. So, so, like, what a complete sea change to take. Like, for example, at one point I wanted to make a map of all the community groups and everything in the district we were working, and one of the people in our coalition belongs to Hell's Kitchen Democrats, which is the Democratic Club. There's like, so he, many He's like, I work, for I work for Google. I'll make it for you. And, wow. like, two weeks later we had the map. It was like, oh, you that's know, there's great. so many people with resources. so many skills, right, including right, right. graphic design, including every... And, and, and even... For someone like me who doesn't come from something that seems, you know, obviously applicable to politics, I realize that being an artist is great for being, going into politics. Why? 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 We, Why? Don't, we don't care what anyone thinks. We're oh, used to working go. for free. There you go. We're used to having crazy ideas that no one understands and getting people right. on board with them. Right? right? We, we're like, so You're passionate. Yeah, we're not scared of failure. We're yeah. passionate. So it's like, actually, the personality <laughs> type of somebody like me who's making these crazy installations that really, like, why, does, why would I do that? 
you know, is perfect because I can What a crazy way to make a living. What a, right. I mean, I mean, yeah. whether I make a living on it, it, it <laughs> goes it, up and down. But it seems yes, to be the sanest the way of making a living. Well, um, you know, all yeah. I can say is that I was very surprised to see that my skills translated into things that were useful for politics. And, of course, I do a lot of graphic design now as well because I'm the only person at True Blue who knows how to use knows Photoshop to and Illustrator. So right, I wound right, up getting right, that right, job, right, too. Right, right. There you yeah. go. What, what, is your, what is your break between, you know, working on your sculptures and working in True Blue? What is the time? Is it mostly yeah. one of the... Well, the way my art projects work, my, my work is very project-based. So, you know, a lot of artists, they just work in, the, they work, they make their paintings and every day they go to the studio and they work on their paintings mm -hmm. and it's sort of like little by little. But because most of my work, because my work is site-specific, that means it's made for a particular place. It's very project-oriented. So it's like this museum calls me, this client calls right. me, this. So I have this sort of like fallow periods where I'm not really working on much, maybe some ideas, but it's not actually producing, and then I'll have to ramp up very, like right now I'm working on a project that's going to be in Vancouver, and so I have to ramp up really quickly to like get it going right. for the deadline. So, so everybody at, at, at uh, True Blue understands that, okay, well Nan has to go do this now, yeah. but she'll be back. Yeah, yeah, and we all have things, you know, and, and uh, I mean, especially because I have really small children too, so you know, but what happens is it's so much fun. I've met so many interesting people who I never would have met otherwise. And it feels really good to be doing something that, in a time where we all feel so powerless, right? It's great to feel like, yeah, I'm actually doing something. And maybe it'll have an effect or not, but at least I'm doing something and not just sitting on social media complaining. Well, I think thanks to True Blue, a lot of New, New Yorkers feel more powerful now. Well, that because makes Because we were very betrayed happy. and it was turned around. Well, what I always tell people is, listen, the four women who started True Blue, none of us had any political experience. None of us came from a related field. None of us had run a campaign before. And if we could do it, anybody can make a difference in New York politics. I look at me and say, she's a sculptor. Why is she doing this? Like, right. if I can do it, anybody can. Right. So how about you, Nan? What's your passion with Indivisible Harlem? Why did you join their work? As I had said earlier in my earlier life, um, in my 20s, I was so involved in the anti-war movement and the women's movement, etc. Um, and then at a certain point, I had to go and say, mm, exactly, the revolution isn't happening right now, and I better get a job. So using what I had learned in print and move forward into the graphic arts industry, I ended up selling and doing mostly sales and marketing for small entrepreneurs and then major corporations. So I ended my career with international paper. So the years that I lived in Los Angeles, while I participated in politics through giving money, going to some events, it wasn't the day-to-day -day that I did through my high school years and through right, my, right. all of my 20s. I think that's true for a lot of us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in moving to New York, one of the things that I knew by move, I retired to move to New York is that I knew that I would be able to throw myself into the cultural life of New York and also back into politics, which has really always been my first love. And if you've been in sales and marketing, then one of the things that you can be a little better at than maybe other people is canvassing campaigning. Um, I was out last night with Josh Daniels, who's part of Indivisible Harlem, really one of our leaders. We were canvassing to get petitions signed for the CCPA, the Climate and Community Protection Act. Mm -hmm. So we stood at Broadway around 148th last night and got 60 plus signatures just standing in front of a little coffee shop called the Chip Cup. Because I had done sales and marketing, it does not, I have a thick skin. If somebody walks by and doesn't want to talk to me, I'm fine. But I'm also good at getting the ask and getting the signature. And so I knew that I could take the skills that I had from all those years of corporate life to back into the political arena. And Indivisible Harlem... Yeah, what do they do? What do you do with them? Well, I think we all do this, do kind of the same thing. While we have individual kind of um, interests and you know some people are more interested in immigration others will be interested in health care uh, my interest has been always in the environmental uh, sphere and so um, you know we just we try to those of us who have those interests try to bring our passion and interests and then knowledge of that 
into the group. Okay. And then what's really been great is Indivisible Harlem is part of something called the Uptown Coalition, so that like connects us with the indivisible or indivisible type groups that run from like Hell's Kitchen up to Inwood. And then we're also part of uh, the True Blue Coalition. You're all kind of interlinking, interlocked. That's correct. Because I mean, I go on your websites and one is linked to the other mm -hmm. website. Correct. Right, I know your website, Indivisible Harlem, is linked with We Act, which, which we, 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 want to, we want to talk about. Now, both Indivisible Harlem and True Blue New York uh, uh, had a, uh, a goal, a common goal over the last few years, and that was to get rid of the IDC, Independent Democratic Conference. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the Ind Independent Conference uh, and about what your, what your uh, organizations did to throw them out. What do you think was the most effective thing you did, your organization do, to get the IDC out of office? I think for, for Indivisible Harlem is that we were so consistent at being out. We were mostly supporting Robert, uh, yeah, Robert Jackson against right. Marcel Alcantara. And we were out not just once a week, but three, four, five, six days a week. Various, you know, we uh, you know, all took turns. And literally standing on corners, knocking on, you know, on doors, writing dear uh, neighbor letters, all of that made an impact. And the thing is, at first, it was a little tough because you go, IDC, I mean, very right. few people. They didn't and know. They did. Very few people did know until right up to the end. We right. didn't know. No. So you. So there was a little bit of an explanation of that. I mean, you know, we, we did the petitions to get, you know, Robert Jackson on the ballot and then, you know, actually campaigned for him. So um, I, just, I think the persistence and the passion that each of us had to, to right a wrong. And, and Mia? Was it persistence? Was it getting out there, that face-to-face -face thing that... Well, well, True Blue's role is a little bit different. Um, I mean, what in the beginning, when I was standing at this GOBK meeting and I started to meet all these people like, we should really do something about the IDC, and I was like, okay, so let's do it then, you know, like, so... I sat down with my six-month-old in my lap, and I did a, made a logo, and I came up with a name, and I made a Facebook page, and you know all this sort of stuff. I was like, okay, then you know, let's do it. Um, and what I my my initial feeling was like, we can't be the only ones. This is happening in eight different districts, plus another ninth district, which is not part of the IDC, but a kind of related problem, Simca Felder in in Brooklyn. And so I started calling around, and if I and that's how I found Lisa Delaquila is that I called somebody in Queens or whatever, and they said, "Do you know anyone in Alcantara's uh, district?" And said, "You should call this person, Lisa. She's amazing." And so, so it was just a matter of finding people in all the districts, and then at, this was happening simultaneously as all these indivisible groups were forming. It was right at the time when they sent out that initial uh, Word doc or whatever it was, a Google doc for for how to be an indivisible group. And another thing that was obvious to me was. All of these indivisible tactics were amazing, but they were very tactical and not at all strategic. Mm -hmm. It was like... What's the difference? Well, the diff tactics are like, um, I want to do a protest. I want to make, I want to do a phone bank. I want to uh, do, you know, things like, that, are, that are very specific. Like one-offs. Yeah, like, like one-offs. And, and often they're extremely effective, but like with anything, if you don't have a larger strategy and to winning, it. that you can waste a lot of energy on tactics that sound great, but that are not actually effective at all mm -hmm. or, or not really going towards your goal. So how do you make it effective? Well, so what I got, I got really interested in strategy, and so I, uh, we started to have these uh, True Blue summits where we invited you know, all the groups and people came down. In fact, Rachel May, who's now a New York State Senator, came down from uh, Syracuse for one as an activist. So that's how I got to know her. So it was like trying to bring everybody together in the same room. Um, so in June of 2017, I did a, like an hour-long strategy presentation where I was like, okay, this is how we're gonna defeat the IDC, just based on what I thought was common sense and instinct. And it wasn't like really that exciting, but it was like the idea was, we all need to be seeing the bigger picture so that we can choose our tactics thoughtfully because we can't waste energy and time. We're all volunteers. We have no money. Like, we have to make sure everything we're doing is, is very Effective. specific. And, and part of that strategy was to find... This was way before we had candidates, right? So the initial, the initial phase was weaken the incumbent in the district. 
educate voters about the IDC, what it is, that it exists, that they voted for that person, why the IDC is bad. And we start weakening the incumbent, educating them on all the issues that haven't moved forward because of the IDC while we're looking for candidates. So then, that's what you were talking about in the street. Yeah. Writing Dear Neighbor letters. Well, that was after we had already picked the candidate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. And then Lisa, in fact, who uh, I mentioned earlier, was very instrumental with No IDC NY in recruiting candidates. So she was running around. I mean, in some of these districts, you know, we, had, we went through three candidates before we found, you know, the final person who wound up running and winning. So it, it, was, it was a long, it was not easy to get people to run because they knew they were running against an incumbent without the support of anybody. They were not going to get any traditional endorsements, any money, any help, right? So it was, I mean, ultimately... Did they ultimately? Well, Alessandra Biagi, for example, did get the support, some union support, like okay. 32BJ. Like, ultimately, there was a little bit, but in general, it was it was all field. It was like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It was all people making phone calls, like, from their house using software or from phone banks. Without you know, endorsements, people. without support, without... Literally Money. almost nothing. Like, That's amazing, yeah. though. Yeah, it was really, and, they, and we were running nine campaigns, or not running, but we were supporting nine campaigns and trying to, you know, kind of route activists towards What campaigns. was your success rate? We won six out of eight races against the IDC, and then we supported 12 more candidates against Republicans in the general election and won six out of those 12 races. This is beginning to sound like a progressive political machine. Oh, well, I hate political <laughs> machines, machine. so that's not what I want. I mean, in fact, True Blue New York and, and our coalition is designed to be completely non-hierarchical. Like, it's a really flat management structure. And the idea that I felt very strongly about from the beginning that I think we all share is that that our role as True Blue is not to dictate to our coalition groups what to do. We will provide tools, and then the, and the groups use them the way they want, right? You know, like, they can use... We'll make a graphic and they can print it, they can use it on social media, they can email it to other people. That's up to them, right? We collectively vote on everything. So it's very and everyone's democratic. voice counts. Yeah, and, and we there every like indivisible Harlem free to do whatever they want. Right, you know, we right. it, the only time where it really matters is when we come together to endorse candidates. Obviously we want to do that. Some of our projects ha will have sixty groups involved and some will have over a hundred groups, people who don't, you know, participate in every coalition project, but something happens and they're like, okay, that we want to sign our names right, on. So right, it really right. fluctuates. So are you both pleased with the outcome of the last election? Are you happy with it? And is the Democratic-controlled chambers, which they are Democratic-controlled now in the governorship, is it getting the job done that you sent them to do or that you would like to see them do? Are you happy with these guys, are you happy? these new guys? Are you so happy? This is a complicated this is hard. Uh, question and answer. I well, I'm, I, I can't speak for Nan, but I'm thrilled that we not only have a majority, we have the biggest Democratic majority in the state Senate since 1912. Right. Right. So that's, Boom. that's completely great. Like a, done. it's a revolutionary. Yeah. And what that means is that even if some Democrats were to break away on a certain vote, we always have a majority. Right. You know, like we have a, a, a strong majority right. and we have, you know, we work really hard to have a leader um, that we thought was representative of the Demo of Democratic voters who we believed in. Her name is Andrea Stewart Cousins. Um, and she's been waiting a long time for this. You know, she's been in the in the wings waiting for this job for a long time. So we're really happy to see her get a chance to lead. And as far as being happy with the results, I mean, she has a very tough job uh, because our governor is um, extremely manipulative and power oh hungry, and he doesn't want her to get any credit for anything. And she has to tread very carefully because, um, you know, political machines are still extremely powerful in New York. Um, it's like, it's not exactly Tammany Hall, but it's the vestiges of Tammany Hall. And for example, Carl Hasty, who's the, um, the leader in the assembly, is part of a very strong political machine. So her job is not easy to corral all these Democrats, but I think she's, she's doing a good job. And I think, honestly, it's really up to us to hold them accountable. It's, you know, it's, it's like she, she has to do her job her way within the parameters of what she can do. It's our job to say, no, it's not enough. Like, right. you can go farther. We don't believe your excuses. You know, like, we think that more can be done. And then, are, are you, are your group pleased or not? Yeah, overall, I think with the folks that actually won against, I mean, what we call the IDC challengers, we're overall very happy with them. What is interesting is that since we had spent so much time on the New York State Senate, we didn't know and still don't know as much about the assembly members. 
And so what we've seen, you take the CCPA, the Climate and Community... Which we will get to right, after the, yep, the break. Yep, yep, yep. At Climate and Community uh, Protection Act, it had passed three times in the Assembly, but when the, the, the IDC Senate members, along with the Republicans, um, didn't vote for it, so right. it never became law. Right. So in some ways, some of those assembly members could vote for it knowing that it was going to be killed, you know, but they got to go on record that, you know, all right, I can get, you know, a, a great score from League of Conservation voters, got et cetera, it. et cetera. So now one of the things that we're looking at is trying to understand and to, you know, actually spend a little bit more time with our assembly members and get a read on them. And I think that some who are not performing well may have challengers in 2020. There oh, you yeah. go. Be warned. For Be warned. We are Bar Crawl Radio. Today we are recording at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on West 72nd Street, across the street from the Mortuary, and down the block from Papaya Hot Dogs and Trader Joe's. We will be right back with guest Mia Perlman of True Blue New York, and Nan Fessler of Indivisible Harlem. And once again, that was Wade Ripka and the Eastern Blockheads. Ladies, we would like to pivot a bit and focus on the quality of our city's environment. Very important topic. Recently, the state legislature has been looking at a new bill, and we've mentioned it already, the CCPA, the Climate and Community Protection Act. Now, both Indivisible Harlem and True Blue New York, as well as other New York-based city organizations, are pushing to have all of its platforms passed. I think there's seven of them. Nan? Where do I start? Maybe I would start right now with the fact that uh, as young Greta Thunberg, the young Swedish girl, said uh, at Davos, and when addressing all those uh, honchos elites worldwide, and she said, you are stealing our future. And if I were a young person today, I'd be very angry at the boomer generation because it's been 30 years, and we've known for 30 years what we needed to do, and very little has been done. Right. So... With the CC, I totally support the CCPA, which is why I've been out, you know, as I said, even last night, trying to get signatures on a petition. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, a few of us from a, a couple different indivisibles were at the ninth uh, annual um, food festival in Hell's Kitchen, it kind of runs from 42nd to 59th. And in a two day period, we ended up with 793 signatures. Again, a petition to the governor, to Carl Heastie, and to the majority leader, Andrea Stewart-Cousins. And people, what was really interesting is that people came up to us. I mean, yes, I would go out and you know try to get, you know, talk to people about getting their signature, but people saw you know, the, the signature of climate, jobs, and justice, and came over. What is this? Well, a lot of people don't know the actual details, and I wouldn't expect them to know Why the details. Why don't we go over some of those details? Okay. Right. Uh, I know 2050 is a big uh, date for, for this. 2050, yes. Um, interestingly, it, it's, a, it's not in some ways a, as aggressive as a couple other bills that have been proposed. I was thinking so, 2050 was kind of overlong. Yes, and that would be 100% um, where we would be at zero emissions by 2050. I know, wait, wait a second. Zero carbon emissions. Correct. In New York State. Right. By, by 2050. 2050. Now, the their goal right now is to be at 50% by 2030. So those are the two benchmarks. There is some probably, well, there's been some talk of strengthening that to go to 70% by 2030. 30 and going to um, 100% by maybe 2040. 40. Okay. So, um, and I would love to see some of those uh, strengthened. 
But a couple of things that are really, really strong about this bill, not only obviously reducing carbon emissions, but in reducing carbon emissions, you're also going to have a much healthier population. So when we look around the state of New York, and particularly in the city, in the five boroughs, you're going to see that there's a lot of environmental pollution. And with that pollution, you end up with higher rates of asthma. Those higher rates of asthma have been basically in areas of communities of color and in low-income communities. Why is that? Um, because they've cited many of the polluting power plants or uh, a marine transfer plant, not in, as I say, the Upper East Side, or, you know, it will be in areas where, like the Bronx or in northern Manhattan. So with that, if there's more pollutants in the area of the neighborhood you live in, more particulate matter, you are more likely to get asthma. So that's measurable. <laughs> it's measurable, absolutely. So with this, if, if the CCPA were to actually pass, and we're keeping our fingers crossed on that, um, yes, there would, the asthma rates would actually come down. So there's a, a, you know, a healthy, healthy communities aspect to this when you get rid of fossil fuel. The other thing that I think is just, it, it blows me away because I've never seen this in any state legislature, uh, legislation, excuse me. We've seen some good, um, in fact, I think the New Mexico just is trying to, just signed a bill, uh, the governor of New Mexico just signed a bill to um, also, you know, have renewables by 2040, 100% renewable energy by 2040. But what they don't have is this aspect of environmental justice. So it's dealing, this bill deals with environmental racism. So 40% of climate funds are slated to go back into communities that have been polluted and impacted the most by climate change. 40%. What of would the funds be used for? Um, you know, that actually hasn't been detailed out yet, but those areas have been impacted the most. So whatever it can, you know, whatever it's going to be, whatever they actually design, and that's one of the things there's, you know, remember that the CCPA is not detailed down to the last little sentence and period. It is a framework, but there's a commitment to doing that and to also making sure that as we move to, uh, you know, a, a green new jobs, that those areas that have been impacted the most, the people in those areas and people that are in the fossil fuel industry, that right. there's an ability to them to move to what we call just transition. To so shift that, over. To shift over so that they're allowed to move into, you know, jobs that pay well and uh, at prevailing wages. And there, there are uh, other organizations besides your two organizations that are working on this. One is We Act for Environmental Justice, which I know you're organization is linked with and is and is working for and I, I love that term environmental justice, justice. Um, I mean part of that uh, getting our environment cleaned up is getting industry but remember who, who are the people that that are suffering and um, Mia I noted the true blue New York another organization that you're connected with is New York renews mm -hmm. and you you connect with that uh, do you know what New York renews is and what they're doing are they doing anything different than we act for environmental justice you might be able to answer that better. I don't know. I, what I'm, I'm just going to clarify this. So New York Renews is an umbrella organization. Mm -hmm. oh. And so they're the ones that helped to write the CCPA. Um, and they've been working on it. So inside the New York Renews, there's 160 plus organizations. So the Indivisibles, tr uh, True Blues are part of it. We act for environmental justice, Sierra Club. SEI uh, um, 32BJ is a member, faith-based organizations. So it's, it's a huge, huge umbrella, and it's upstate and downstate. Are these all democratic organizations, or does it cross the line? I, I wouldn't call them democratic. I would say that they're progressive organizations. I mean, people who care about the environment. So I would say a faith-based organization is not a Necessarily. Right. Yes. Yeah, most most issue-based advocacy groups are not partisan. They have a, a kind of um, 
nonprofit entity that can't do partisan work. Some of them okay. have like an action aspect where they can. You know, I, I think it uh, becomes a little confusing for people who are just kind of going through their day-to-day -day life of all the issues that are out there and need to be covered. And, you know, I think climate change is probably the most important one. But there's so many other things. I mean, your two groups, I mean, the people's um, platform. platform. I mean, that's a whole other thing that you're doing mm. that we're not talking about. Well, it encompasses this, this you know, environmentalists, including this, not, including but not limited to the CCPA, right. are, are included on the platform. The, yeah, pla the idea behind the platform is all of us, like if you work in, for example, Vocal New York, an amazing organization, they work on a lot of issues including homelessness, including um, drug addiction, opioid use, you know, lots Things of... Things of concern to New York City. Yeah, um, you know, different, different organizations work on different... Topic. Some right. are more, um, some are more membership oriented. They have a lot of people in the organization. They do a lot of field work. Some are more policy oriented. There's a real range. In, um, but we all decided that this is the time where we come together. So that even if you know you're working on homelessness and you're working on the environment and you're working on education, but we all, we can't work be siloed anymore. We have to come together and understand what are the big issues that are preventing all of us from getting our legislation passed. And the, and that brings us to an issue that is like still on the table for the rest of the session, hopefully, which is public financing. So we all came together to say we need money out of politics mm -hmm. and we need money into communities because we all know looking at federal politics or state politics or whatever, big moneyed interests buy off politicians with campaign donations. And the only way that we can sort of circumvent that is to have a publicly funded match, a small donor match like we do in New York City, but on the state level so that a lot of people can run cool. for state, uh, <coughs> excuse me, state senator, state assembly, who are who are working class people, who are people of color, who are women, who are young, who are people who normally are are prevented from even being in the system because they don't have friends who can write big checks. You know, they don't come from, uh, you know, a background that that would suggest that they should be in politics. Well, those are the exact people we need in politics. So this is a proposal, or it's or it has been passed. So we've been working very closely with um, another big coalition called Fair Elections that has a lot of over 200 groups in it, uh, a lot of which are issue-based groups like the Brennan Center, Citizen Action, um, but also um, you know groups like True Blue, uh, grassroots organizations, and what. This is another, just like what Nan talked about with the CCPA, for many years there has been legislation in the New York State Assembly to create a publicly funded match system. What that means is for every dollar you contribute to a candidate, they get $5 from the state, right? Right. That also limits the amount of money they can raise and the amount of size of the donations they can do. So it basically keeps money out of politics. Well, all these assembly people have voted for it a million times. Over 80 people had voted for it. Now we could only get 40 people to go on the record. So it's really where the rubber meets the road that we see what people really believe in. And unfortunately, in the assembly, you have a lot of incumbents who very happily have been taking real estate money and other kinds of donations for many years. They've never faced a primary because they're part of the machine. They've never faced a Republican because they're in a district where a Republican can never win. Well, why would they want to make life harder for themselves and have public financing? That means they might actually have to face a primary. So this is another example similar to the CCPA where we're seeing what we really have to work with in the New York State Assembly. How clean or dirty is the air in northern Manhattan uh, where, 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 where you're living? Is it getting better or worse? You know, and what is, what's contributing to the air pollution in that part of our city? Um, I would say that it might actually be getting a little bit better, but uh, you know, don't quote me on that. I'll tell you why. Um, many of the buses now are hybrid, so that really makes a huge difference. I mean, when buses were all just diesel, you were talking about a lot more pollutants and therefore, you know, particulate matter, which contributes to asthma and other respiratory diseases, also heart disease. Mm -hmm. So when you, when we're looking at, you know, these hybrid buses and in electric buses, and as we move more and more to electric cars, it will make a huge difference to the air quality in not just northern Manhattan, but throughout the city. And is that part of the CCPA to, to uh, move in that direction? Well, it is in the sense of moving away from fossil fuels. I mean, we really need to just, I mean, if I had a magic wand and could end it tomorrow, I would. We, it's not realistic, but we need to move off of fossil fuels. I think one of the platforms of the CCPA, the way I read it, was, um, was one in which you are considering the fossil fuel worker. In other words, that, 
worker that needs the fossil fuel in order to have a job. Uh, I don't know whether it's the fracking worker or the person that is doing a refinery in New York State, but those people need to be on board with this. Correct. Yeah. And, and it's a very interesting thing. Um, I am part of 350.org's listserv, and so there's every day there's you know postings of very, very interesting articles and conversation back and forth. And one of the things that has always been a push-pull has been, you know, there's kind of this classic thing of environmentalists on one side and the unions on the others. And at times they match, and other times there's fights. I mean, you know, when we were fighting, you know, Keystone Pipeline, mm -hmm. there were a lot of, of, you know, construction workers who very much wanted that to go through because they saw it as good-paying jobs for, for, a a li for a limited period of yeah, time. Yeah. And so, yes, there's always got to be more work on the part, I think, of the environmental advocacy groups to reach out and to form a partnership with the unions and also really talk about, you know, moving them. I mean, it, it, it's amazing. We, we still, we're not making buggy whips anymore. I mean, no. life goes on. And we're not going to be using coal anymore either. And we're not. And we know that, you know, coal plants have been closed down both because Sierra Club has a really good program called Beyond Coal that's been able to, you know, have coal plants uh, closed down. But those, those but men and women need to be taken care of. True. And, and I think as a society, we, we need to do that. The other thing is that's also closed coal plants is that, I mean, I hate this with the natural gas because I'm not in favor of fracking either, but the, the market, quote, the free market has also closed down the coal plants because natural gas is cheaper and cheaper right. to provide. Right. So, I mean, but I do agree that there's got to be a, a better marriage between environmental advocacy groups and unions. Okay, well, speaking about the environment, you were in the print business and have and, and have and continue to advocate for an environmentally safe print industry. Paper contributes to the climate problem, right? And so can the print and paper industry be part of a sustainable environment? Yes, um, I am going to admit a, a somewhat of a bias you know, since I spent many, many years in the print industry. And the one thing about paper that is very different than plastics is that a piece of paper is, if it's been, if it had been from a forest that has been responsibly harvested and sustainable, then it is a renewable um, product that will actually compost um, and can be recycled. A tree, the actual paper is made from tree fibers that are about the size of a grain of rice, and each time it can be reused up to four to seven times depending on the tree species. So it's a very, very, very different thing. Now, do I, I really subscribe by avoid, reduce, reuse, and then recycle. So if you don't need to print something out, don't do it. But paper, very different than plastic that can take, you know, thousands of years to disintegrate if it really ever does and most likely is going to end up in some whale's stomach in the first place. Yeah. That piece of paper, in fact, that's right in front of you, if it was left out in, on the sidewalk with sun and rain, it will disintegrate. And trees, trees forests can be sustainable. They're sustainable and, they, and they're important because they're also a carbon sink. So the reality is, is that, again, the key, key thing is where is the paper coming from? Is it being responsibly harvested and then is that forest being replanted correctly? And, and, you, and you speak on this. You, uh, yeah, this, this is one of your topics that you, you relate to because you led, your whole life was in the paper industry. Paper and print, and print yeah. industry, mm -hmm. right, right. And the, uh, and the climate issue affects uh, forests, though, too. Yes. We, we've been talking to Rafael Espinal, who's a council person from uh, Brooklyn. Right. And uh, he's, uh, one of his big things is getting rid of plastic straws. Right. Which we have paper straws. And I'm using a paper straw right now. Look at that. Very yes. good. Get oh, did you bring that yourself? That paper no, straw. here at Gephardt's. Oh, Gephardt's has paper, paper straws. straws. Yay, Gephardt's. Wow, that's great. <laughs> Uh, we, we, we're going to bring up one more topic and bring the hour to, to an end here. Um, and I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm, I mean, I know this is a political question, so I don't know how far you're going to go on this, because maybe you want to just talk personally. Will True Blue New York and Indivisible Harlem be supporting a candidate 
for the presidency. We're in the primary season. Uh, earlier this year, uh, I think Indivisible Harlem uh, hosted a meeting with New York Senator Kristen Gillibrand, who's running for president. Um, is she looking good to you, or who, who is? You know, that was actually put together by um, either Empire State uh, mm -hmm. Indivisible or um, Indivisible BK. And so there were only a couple of people from Indivisible Harlem that were invited to that meeting. Um, I know that Indivisible Harlem will not endorse until way after the primary. After um, the primary. After the primary. You know? Yeah. And, and, and because there's also disagreements uh, amongst ourselves of right. who, who we would support. I mean, when you've got 23, 24 <laughs> candidates. Yeah. yeah, we have to narrow it's this a, down yeah, a bit. Yeah. But couldn't you kid. help us narrow it down a little bit, Mia? Is there something well, you could do? Well, I can do to speak for myself. I mean, right. in, in generally True Blue New York, when I say that, I mean the entire coalition only uh, endorses state senate and assembly races because that's how we reform. That could change. Uh, True Blue New York, the, the smaller group, did endorse Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez for, for Congress before the um, before her primary and uh, against Crowley, and we certainly could do things like that in the future, and, and I kind of hope we will. But for president, we haven't discussed it yet. I mean, I don't, I think, honestly, I think we all really like Elizabeth Warren, but I don't know if that means that we want That's to try like. to yeah. convince all of the partner groups in our coalition to do it. And I don't, you know, honestly, I don't know how useful it is because we it's not useful to us if it's going to alienate anyone who's in our coalition who who we would work with you know like strategically if it's not going to help the candidate or it's not going to outweigh the potential problems it would create i don't see us doing it so so no matter who wins the democratic primary your groups are going to support that person and not the other guy Oh, we, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it seems, that seems pretty clear. Yeah, we just hope any, it's just the guy. And is not anyone the other leaning guy. towards uh, environmental um, uh, justice, environmental that, that you see that would uh, lean you in a direction or not? I know Elizabeth Warren is. J.J. Inslee is the kind of environmental candidate. Yeah, yeah but I, uh, for me personally, I think that some of you know the proposals that Elizabeth Warren and others have put out have been just as good. So mm -hmm. what he, the thing with Jay Inslee, is that, and I'm happy that he's brought this up, and it's like his key signature uh, that he's running on, and I'm I'm pleased about that. But he's like running as a one-note person, and you know, again, with personally, I I really love that Elizabeth Warren. I have the plan, mm -hmm. and oh, she yeah. has lots of plans. So right. I'm, I'm I, I don't want to get into the weeds and uh, political punditry mm -hmm. here. Yeah. Uh, I just was I, I was wondering what, what what you thought about that, and I I I, I, I think knew, we got that. I think we the, got the opinion. Kind of knew what the answer was mm -hmm. going to yeah. be. Great. We want to thank Nan Fessler and Mia Perlman for joining us on this important conversation on ridding Albany of false Democrats and cleaning the New York City environment, especially for those communities most susceptible to the negative effects of climate change. You are doing most important work. Right, and if my hands weren't filled with, with script here, I'd, I'd applaud you. Um, <laughs> I hope that Albany gets this bill passed, really do, uh, and truly acts on it. It's a, it's a big bill and it's gonna cost a lot of money um, want to pass it for our grandson and all the children growing up in the northern part of our city. It is kind of crazy the direction this country is taking and sticking its head in the sand about this, uh, not pending anymore, but present and growing danger. It's huge. And the Democrats have to take charge of it because the other side is not. This is Bar Crawl Radio, and you and I, and now everyone knows, the best, the best conversations, conversations happen, happen at, at your our neighborhood, neighborhood bar. bar. And <laughs> thank, you, thank you again, uh, Nan Fessler and Mia Perlman, for joining us. Thanks thank for you. having us. Thank you. Wow, that was wonderful. That was so much fun. You fit a lot I, in there. I would be willing to come back. <laughs> yes. I was so you guys done this before, right? <laughs> yeah, but, I, I, I have. I could out. <laughs> So much material uh, because I said, you know, oh, you don't need to ask me specific, you know, what, what the, uh,